tickets. <clears throat> we are going to actually jump into our message. How many of you got the message notes on the way in? If you got your message, these are the message notes. We've never done message notes. And so if you got your message notes, wave your message notes. All right, all right, all right. How about if you need message notes, raise your hand. We got some people that need message notes. All right, so we've got some ushers in the back. Just keep your hand raised. We'll get this to you. And I'm going to tell you really quick how this is going to work. We're in our second message of a series called I Will Build My Church. This is the first message with notes. And we're going on a journey together, and we're asking and we're acknowledging that God is breathing, God is birthing, and God is building some things at Real Life Church. And so what I wanted to do as an encouragement to you and uh, your attendance, the next four weeks, we're going to have notes provided for you. And we're going to ask you to fill in the blanks. And yes, we have the slides and different things and I'll, we'll make sure that you have all the answers, and if you don't get all the answers, just you know, look on your neighbor's paper or something like that, all right? And, uh, but you'll fill these out. You're going to hold these onto these for the next four weeks. On the uh, third or the fourth week, we're going to ask you your t-shirt size, and so on that f- uh, following this series, um, when you come back after that fourth week, um, we are going to have a RLC t-shirt uh, personally made for you. This is the new RLC SAC logo with a church that looks like heaven uh, on the back. And so um, for all of you that are faithful, if you can't, people have asked me, what if I can't make it? I really want one of those t-shirts. It's $15. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, the sermons are online on our new website. They're online. And uh, we also have a podcast. So you could go to uh, if you have iTunes, Stitcher, everybody asks me what Stitcher is. I don't know. I haven't been on it. Just go on it. Google Play, all of those. Our podcast is on there. And so just want to encourage you uh, to listen. You can fill out the notes there. We're going to figure out how to get the notes uh, online. And um, so you could either download them there or we'll have some extras after service. And so don't panic. Uh, we want to make sure that everyone gets uh, a T-shirt and... Uh, no one goes without. And so uh, just appreciate you guys. How many of you guys think you can make it the entire four weeks? Okay, about half of you. How many of you guys going to be gone at least one week? Okay, how many two weeks? How many of you just don't care about the t-shirt, right? All right, all right. Okay, okay, I understand, I understand. Um, I'm pulling up my notes here. Here we go. I'm going to talk to you about this morning the five habits of a church that looks like heaven. The five habits of a church that looks like heaven. When I first became pastor here, Pastor Andrew Mason and I, we threw together a series because we needed something to kind of rally people around. And um, it was our first small group series. He made a book, we made some videos, and it was called This Is Real Life. And really, it was an attempt Um, of kind of a a prophetic declaration of what real life would be. And so it was introducing you to some values um, that I believe that as we practice them, as we put them into practice, we would see healthy 
outcomes. Well, 11 months later, I'm here to tell you we are seeing some great things happening in our body because of these five habits that we've implemented. It started with the staff. I gathered the staff, and uh, at the time it was 13. Now we're, you know, we've got two, uh, six full-time, two part-time, but it, at the time I was, I was like, hey, we have to get healthy as a team because how many know it starts at the top? It starts at the core. Listen, if the core is not healthy, the rest of the body is not going to be healthy. And so we started with our team, and our team, I'm so proud of our pastoral team because they've done the work. They have done the work. We've had tears. uh, We've had tension. We've had all those things. And because of it, listen, we're healthier. We've learned how to have conversations together. Even with folks that aren't on our staff, we've learned to have tough conversations honesty, transparency. How many know this is the kinds of things that need to happen in church? So many times we get in situations that aren't comfortable or we don't understand, and so what ends up happening, we'll go somewhere else only to find out the same things exist there. Why? Because we're there, right? When someone leaves a church, and again, I think um, the church that God has called you to is a spiritual thing. We're not into... We live in such a consumer world, it's easy to go get what you want. But what I believe God is building here is a healthy church. Psalm 127 verse 1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. I talked a couple of weeks ago about what God God always, he always gives breath to something before he births something. And he always births something before he builds something. It's in that order. You have the breath of God, the life of God, the idea, the thought, the dream. God gives that to you first, right? He breathes on that. And then he, in his timing, in his, everybody say timing. Because many times, listen, we know what God wants to do, but we miss out on when he wants to do it. And so it's timing. And so I want to say thank you right up front for all of your patience, right? Because how many you know 11 months can seem like an eternity? Maybe to you, but not to me. I was talking to Rosemary this morning, and she says, does it seem like 11 months to you? No, I said, no, it feels like 11 days, right? Because it's went so fast. What God has done, if you look back over the last 11 months, what God has done to get us to this point right here has been at an accelerated rate. It really has. The things that we have experienced as a church, the things uh, that we have experienced the last month, listen, I'm just going to tell you straight up, a lot of what has happened, a lot of what we've went through, and what I'm talking about, I'm just talking about transition and change, sending staff off, those types of things, right? That can take a toll on a church, and what happens is that can be destructive to a church, right? But you guys have said, you know what, we're going to commit to this health thing, and we've done it in a healthy way. So God always gives breath to something before he births something, and he always births something before he builds it. Building something in vain means that it is empty of the life of God. It lacks the joy and expectation and enthusiasm that comes with partnering with God. How many want to be enthusiastic about what God is doing through our church? 
what God is doing through the body of Christ in our region. I was with three to 400 pastors this week in this region, and we had Dr. Rice Brooks in from Nashville, Tennessee, Bethel Church, Tennessee. My son attends Bethel, Cincinnati. It's, part, it's a church plant off of that church. But there was such an enthusiasm for the hope that we have here in Sacramento, for what God is doing in Sacramento is a God thing. It's full of life. It's full of energy. It's full of enthusiasm. But listen, if we build things in vain, what ends up happening, it becomes a drain on us rather than a dream come true. Matthew 16, 18 says, I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. I mentioned to you that Jesus says the church I build on is going to be built on the revelation that I am. I am the son of a living God. How many know if we want a living church, we want a church that is alive, it's got to be built on no other foundation than Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. He is the only one that can bring life. He is the only one that can release hope. He is the only one that has the answers for the difficulties that we are facing as a nation. And that has to be the foundation that we stand on, the foundation that we build on. And the church has to be built on the revelation that he is who he says he is, that he is the great I am, and that there is no other way There's no other way to salvation but through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is the only hope. That is the only hope that we have. And I talk to you about being a prevailing church. I really believe that real life church is to be a prevailing church, a church that looks for heaven to invade what hell deems as impossible. We see all these things, our young people, listen, going to schools and shooting them up, and we say, what on earth can we do? I'm going to tell you this, God knows what we can do. Listen, we need a spiritual reformation, a spiritual revival in our nation. Listen, you can talk about, and and it doesn't matter what side of the fence you're on on this, listen, but listen, gun control Guns, whatever, pro-gun, whatever you are, listen, outside of a spiritual reformation, listen, we will not see our country transformed. You see, a church that looks like heaven, looks for heaven to invade and do the impossible. That's what I want to be a part of. I want to be a part of a church that has that expectation. Listen, that we're not just coming to attend Listen, we're not coming here to grow a church, but we're coming here to be equipped so we can be the church. Wherever God has called you, whatever sector of society God has called you to, listen, it doesn't matter to me, listen, if you're serving in the nursery or you're serving our community, what matters to me is that you're active in your faith. Listen, that you are salt and light, that you're influencing, that you're influencing by the power of the Holy Spirit wherever he places you. Listen, that you are seizing it, that you are the flavor. Come on, that when somebody encounters you, they say, I don't know what it is about that person. They have something I have, they have, I don't have, they have something that I need, they have something that I want. So here we come, the last 11 months, five habits of a church that looks, lives, 
and leads like heaven. That's our mission. I don't want to be a church that just looks like heaven. I want to be a church that looks, lives, and leads like heaven. These are the five habits that over the last 11 months that I have personally been practicing, our staff has put it into practice, and that have led us to a successful transition. And though I introduced you to them in August, listen, they have been proven to produce the healthy culture we want to continue to cultivate. And I'm going to give them to you. These are the five habits in your notes. The first one is to love God personally. This is all about our walk with Jesus. You see, loving God personally moves me out of infancy. That's a fill in the blank there. It moves us out of infancy and onto, everybody say onto, onto maturity. Notice I said onto and not into. How many know we've got to work out our salvation? That sanctification is a process. Listen, that as we walk with Jesus and as we walk with one another, how many know God is helping us work it out? Listen, again, as I said to you a few weeks ago, we don't have to have all our stuff together. All we have to be doing is walking together and working it out together so that we, are, we don't have to be perfect, but we are, it's the understanding that we are being perfected, that we are in a process. So here's the difference between onto maturity and into maturity. When you move onto something, you step into a state of an awareness. An awareness, listen, that God is with you. Listen, that there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus, right? You have an awareness that this journey as a Christian community is a process that you don't have to, it's not an immediate thing. It's a process that we have to work out. When you step into something, however, you step into a condition or a form. The Christian life, listen, was never meant to be a set of conditions, rules, or a form that we try to live up to. Listen, everybody go like this for a moment. Go like this. Every religion in the world other than Christianity, listen, is man trying to reach God. Man trying to reach God through efforts, through praying. We're in Ramadan right now. Through praying, through praying, man trying to reach God. But Christianity is the only religion where God came to us. God came to us. He moved, the message says that he moved into our neighborhood. It was never meant to be a form that we lived up to. The Christian life is an ongoing awareness of God's generous love towards us. The awareness that his love is for us and that his love is to flow through us. You see, it's because he first loved us. I love that. It's because he first loved us, he gave town to us, that I can respond and love him back. You see, becoming intimate with God's love for you is the catalyst for our relationship with Jesus to become intimate and personal. When you and I pursue intimacy with God, the unchurched, there's a new term out called the de-churched, folks that used to be in church and no longer go. So now we have the unchurched, the de-churched, and even those who have been disappointed by the church. I believe through the intimacy in our relationship with God, listen, we will see the accuracy of Jesus and his kingdom manifested in our communities. That's what makes the difference. I was this week, we, Amy and I went over to the Newman's home for, for dinner, uh, Mike and Janine Newman, and 
Have you just ever been talking to somebody and you know they have an intimate relationship with the Lord? It's so rich, right? You can relate. Something resonates between your hearts when you're conversing. And it's that kind of deep fellowship, listen, that we experienced in a moment. But, like, that's what Jesus desires for each and every one of us to have with him, an intimate connection, not where it feels like your prayers are bouncing off the ceilings, not where it, uh, you feel like you're distant from God, but there's that constant awareness that God is with you, that no matter what you're going through, God is with you. You see, when I make a habit of prayer and meditating on his word, practicing the presence of God, I don't know if you've ever read that book, Practicing the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence, who actually uh, every minute of his goal was for one minute of every hour, he would just acknowledge God's presence, no matter what he was doing, whether he was in the kitchen or gardening, he just acknowledged God's presence in his life. When we make a habit of practicing the presence of God throughout the day, learning to hear his voice, treating others right, my life, listen, our lives reflect the consistency of those habits. Listen, you cannot spend time in this word. You cannot, listen, meditation on his word brings transformation in your life. If you're serious about prayer, if you're serious about, you know, really changing your life, you can't, when you spend time in this, it's just what happens. And you allow it to sink so deep in your heart and you, you really digest these things. Your life will be transformed. Mark 8, 34 says, when he called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me. So there's the desire, the desire to come after him. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. How many know a desire to go after something always requires us to deny or sacrifice something? I remember when I was, uh, uh, in, I was a part of a singles ministry. I just got saved, 19 years old. Pastor Mac, Malcolm McPhail, there was a group of guys. We were over his house hanging out. And uh, Pastor Malcolm, we were just talking about marriage because all the guys at that time wanted to get married. That's all we could think of. And uh, I remember just asking Pastor Ma Malcolm, like, how, how do you have such a great marriage? And he's like, he said, he said, you want a great marriage? He said, get ready to die to yourself. I I, I, I remember that. You know why? Because he was right, right? He was absolutely right. You see, pursuing a personal relationship with Jesus begins by surrendering our will to God's will. Not my will, but your will be done. That's where it begins, a life of surrender. And identifying, not only surrendering, but identifying with the finished work of the cross. How many know it's finished? And following Jesus passionately. You see, becoming intimate with the crucifixion is something the Apostle Paul knew much about. Becoming intimate with the crucifixion allows you and I to experience a relationship with the life-giving power of the resurrected Christ. This is what Paul said in Galatians 2.20. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. How many know that's a process? That's a journey right there. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And listen to this. He didn't stop there. I love that because so many times we stop right there. But there's another side to the comma. It says, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God 
who loved me and gave himself for me. What do I get out of this? It's the same passion, the same passion that Jesus had for you and I dying on the cross is the same passion that we can have with Jesus every day. You see, when we follow Jesus, and this is in your notes, when we follow Jesus passionately, we experience Jesus personally. And listen, that is my desire for this church, is listen, not just to be church attenders, not to just be church members, but listen, disciples of Christ, followers of Jesus, willing to do radical things to bring his kingdom about. Listen, willing to sell everything and go on the mission field. Right? Willing to sacrifice everything and go after that vision or dream that God has put in your heart. And listen, it doesn't have to be ministry related. It can be something business related. That God gave you a dream. He gave you an idea and you're wondering, how am I ever going to do it? But God says, you know what? He says, that dream I deposit in your life and I will see it about. I will see it come to fruition. You see, when we follow Jesus passionately, we experience Jesus personally. He begins to show up in our life. But when the opposite is true. When we follow Jesus passively, we experience Jesus from a distance. And that's the difference of becoming a follower of Jesus or a fan of Jesus. You see, walking with Jesus, cloaked, when we walk close with Jesus, it causes us to want to walk with others, which leads me to my second point, or our second habit, let me just say it that way. <clears throat> and it is learn empathy. It's, it's the process of walking with others. Learning empathy, and here's the fill in the blank, learning empathy releases my ability to put on and walk in another person's shoes. Babe, can you hand me my shoes? <clears throat> These are my shoes. You guys like my shoes? These are my shoes. They don't look like your shoes. My brother Paul right here, he's got some fresh kicks on right now. But if I tried to wear his shoes, how many know I'd walk differently? And I could go right down, who's got high heels on? How you know if I put on these on, I have some pro problems? I was, it's kind of funny because Mariah has, like, she has something like, it's like two times this height, right? And she was at her prom uh, before she graduated, her senior ball. And I'm not joking, she was walking like a camel. She was like this. And I, she's an athlete, and I'm like, you don't wear heels, girl, I can tell, right? <laughs> And she's walking like this, right? And I'm like, get, you know, get your stride down, you know? It's like this, you know? You got to practice, right? You just can't throw on those shoes and go on a date like this, you know? <laughs> but then, like, when Amy and Mariah aren't home, I decided to try it. I was like, you know, I was, Why? Because all our shoes are different. What you're walking through, I might not be walking through. You might be walking through difficulty in your finances. You might be walking difficulty at your work or at your place of employment. You might be walking difficulty with your children. Listen, we have to begin to learn to empathize with one another. Empathy is the action 
and capacity. Everybody say capacity. And sometimes, listen, we've just got to ask God to expand our hearts for people. Not just listen to what they're going through, but actually not only listen, but walk with them through it. The action and capacity for understanding, being aware of, being sensitive to, and vicariously, which means putting your place, putting yourself in their place, experiencing the feelings, thoughts, and experience of another, of either the past or present, without having the feelings, thoughts, and experience fully communicated in an objectively, objectively explicit manner. How many know the Holy Spirit will help us do that? He will. That's why He gives us the gifts of the Spirit, the words of wisdom, the word of knowledge. He gives us those things. How many know the Holy Spirit can fill in the blanks? He can. You see, a believer that operates in empathy has the ability to put themselves in other people's shoes. We get this from the life of Jesus. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38 says, When Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. I want to stop right there because I want you to know that as Jesus walked through the city, as he walked through the villages, listen, he, he discovered what the problem was. Everybody say what? He discovered what the problem was. What I just read to you is the what. There was sickness and disease. And then it says, it goes on to say, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. Listen to this. Because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. How many know there's a difference between the what and the why? And listen, Jesus didn't only see the problem. Listen, he took a step even further into it and he found out why the problem existed. And so he seen every, everyone was struggling with sickness and then he saw the why. Because these people had no shepherd. I believe what God is calling us to as a church is not to just know what the problem is, but to discover why the problem exists so we can solve the problem. We have to understand as a church, Jesus knew the what and the why so he could allow the Holy Spirit to discover the how to solve it. You see, it's easy to know what, the, what problem exists but it takes walking in people's shoes and putting yourself in their place to know why the problem exists and how to correct it. How do you know that knowing what the problems are is not a spiritual gift? How do you know it's easy to point out problems? Sometimes, you know, <laughs> let me just move on. It's, it's funny because people will, will come and they'll say, hey, do you know about this problem? Yeah, I know. I'm praying about how to solve it. Amen? See, if we're, going, if we're not willing to put ourselves in other people's shoes, we'll never understand the why of what they're walking through, and we will continue aimlessly to always deal with the what they're walking through. In other words, we will always be dealing with the symptom and not the root. Our urgent care ministry, one of the most fantastic ministries in this church. It's incredible. If you knew all that happened in our urgent 
care ministry, you would be dumbfounded. The people that we touch, the people that we help, the people that we reach, the people that we pray for, the hospital visits that we go to. It's an amazing ministry uh, that Pastor Steve oversees and his team. Is, it's an incredible, incredible team. But one of the things that this team is really good at is not just dealing with the what. They get to the why. Because how many know if people are continually coming back for the same thing, there's a deeper issue going on. And listen, when we walk with people, we discover those deeper issues. And now, listen, when we get to the why, this is when, this is when the Holy Spirit comes in. We can ask God, how? God, how can I help them? God, how can you help them? What can we do, Lord? And Jesus had it. The answer, he said, this caused Jesus to say, to tell his disciples, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, he says, therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. That's the how. Jesus says, we've got to pray for more laborers, more workers to put their hand to the plow. You see, expanding our ability to have more empathy for others, and this is in your notes, is a kingdom key to unlocking unity in our church and having a greater capacity for the harvest. The third habit is live abundantly. Live abundantly. Living abundantly is following Jesus into a life of fullness. How many of you have all you could have of Jesus right now? Right, I'm with you. None of us, right? There's always more. John 10, 10, the thief does not come except to steal and kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. You see, following Jesus is living the abundant life, not barely living life. 2 Peter 1, 3, listen, this is what happens. Listen, when we love God personally and when we learn empathy, Look at 2 Peter 1.3. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this, listen to this, by coming to know him. Church, I want to ask you, do you know him? Do you know him? Do you know all that's available to you? All that's available for others through your life? We've received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. Living abundantly comes down to two things for me. It's revelational and it's relational. Revelational and relational. Number one, we need a revelation. It's revelational. A revelation of the resources of heaven that I have that are unlimited. Amen? We need a revelation, as believers, we need a revelation of the resources of heaven that we have unlimited access to. As a son and daughter in Christ, everybody say in Christ, I am living my life from a place of revelation that I am amply supplied with God's abundance of mercy, love, grace, kindness, freedom, compassion, joy, and patience. How many could use some more patience? Right? How many of you can use some more joy, some more compassion, more freedom in your life, more kindness in your life, more grace in your life, more love in your life, more mercy? Listen, we have unlimited access. 
to all of these resources. Listen, when you think you can't love anymore, how you know God can release a greater love in your heart? Listen, when you don't have the compassion anymore, how you know God can release a greater compassion in your heart for others? He can do it. You see, a revelation of the resources God has, gives us comes through a personal and intimate relationship with Jesus and walking in the Spirit. That's really what living abundantly means. It means walking in the Spirit. How many know there are works of the flesh? And there's, there's the fruit of walking in the Spirit. It's Galatians 5. Here's the fruit of the Spirit. And there's a long list of the flesh, you know, the works of the flesh that I won't take time to bother with you today. But there's the fruit of the Spirit that says love, that walks and experiences love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And then secondly, living abundantly is relational. As a son and daughter in Christ, everyone say in Christ. I live my life in relationship with others. That's why community is so important around here. I live my life in relationship with others as a resource of what God has supplied me with. In other words, my life is not just a reservoir of the good things God has given me. My life becomes a resource to others around me. How do you know the things that God that you experience in your personal time, in your quiet time, in your life, as maybe you look back and you say, man, God's done a lot in my life. How do you know all of that goodness, all of that love, all of that grace, all of that mercy isn't just for you? God calls us now because you've experienced it, because you've encountered it. God calls you to share the wealth. He calls you to share it. He calls you to show it. <laughs> and he calls us to shine. The abundance of God, the abundance that God shares with us, we must share with others. You see, many Christians want the abundant life without abundant relationships. And we have to listen, be intentional in building community, making sure that we're sharing what we're experiencing with others. The fourth habit is to lead humbly. <clears throat> lead humbly. Leading humbly is acknowledging I'm here for his purpose and the service of God's people. Mark 10, 43, 45. How many know Jesus was the greatest leader to ever walk the planet? How many know Jesus was the greatest leader to ever walk the planet? Mark 10, 43, Jesus is saying, Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be First shall be a slave of all. Verse 45, I love this. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life for a ransom for many. I want to read that again. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served. Can I ask you a question in real life? Why are you coming? Jesus came, not to be served, but to serve and give his life for a ransom for many. Can you imagine a church that shifts from a consumer mentality to a committed disciples mentality, a servant mentality that says, I'm not here for myself. I'm here for you. 
I'm here for you. I'm here for you. I'm here for you. I'm here for you. I'm not here for my, I'm here for you. I'm coming to serve. Because we've got people we've got to save. You see, greatness in the kingdom is not measured by who is below you. It is the understanding. Let me just say it over again. Greatness in the kingdom is not measured by who is below you. It is measured by the understanding that nothing is beneath you. To lead humbly is to put people first and yourself last. To lead humbly is to give away your life and not preserve it. To lead humbly is to live your life as an example of others, to others, before placing expectations on others. You see, servants don't place, uh, don't seek a placement or position. They serve people with a passion. One of the things that we practice around here, one of the first things that uh, I said to the staff, and it's awesome because this year I've been to a couple of things uh, where they hand all the pastors towels. I've got a couple towels in my office. We've handed out some towels uh, at this church and to our staff. But one of the sayings that we really live by around here is it's about towels, not titles. It's about towels, not titles. How do you know if you're willing to pick up a towel, God will give you the title? And so many times we're worried about the title and we're ignoring the towels. But listen, promotion in the kingdom is when we pick up the towel. We're not concerned about the title, and that's usually when promotion comes. Listen, when you're busy like doing something that nobody cares about, nobody sees, come on, you're dusting the guitar, come on, you're here on a Wednesday like the Lehmans, Jerry and Connie, you're up here, you're packing the envelopes and back of the seats. You know how those get there, right? It's not by the power of the Holy Spirit, it's powered by the Lehmans. Every Thursday they're here and they're putting envelopes in there and they're letting me know, we need more offering envelopes, we need more cards. But how many know, listen, how many know, that might not mean a lot to us right now, hello, but how many know if the offering dries up because there's no envelopes in there? It's picking up towels in the kingdom of what it's about. Servanthood is the pathway, one of the pathways to friendship with God. John 15, verse 15 says, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. I love that. But I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father, I have made known to you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But how many know after a long time, if there's a servant and he's in that house for a long time, he begins to anticipate his master's needs. He begins to know, listen, he begins to know when to have the food on the table. He begins to know every move that master makes and he's there ahead of time, right? And when we get to that place in God, when we get to that place in Christ, Jesus says, you are friends. You're no longer serving. You're anticipating what I'm putting before you. You're anticipating my every move. You're listening to my voice, and now I call you friends. Servanthood is the pathway to friendship with God. And last, the last habit is, and I added this one, because it's something that as we did these first four over the last 11 months, God opened the doors for us to lift humanity. Lift humanity. Listen, if we are willing to lift our eyes and see what God sees, 
God will give us a vision to lift humanity. John 4.35, and I close with this. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. You see, wherever and whenever we dare to look at the fields, how many know the Holy Spirit will give us the supernatural ability to lift others up? I, how many know God will give us the supernatural ability to lift others up? That's what he'll do. I looked up the phrase lift up in the Bible, and these verses are on the screen, but in Mark 131, Jesus and Kate came, and he, he took Simon's mother-in-law's hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left. Mark 9, 27, Jesus took the demon-possessed boy by the hand and lifted it up, and he arose. Acts 3, 7, Peter, they're on their way to pray. He took the lame beggar by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. How many know when we're willing to lift people up, God can do some supernatural things in people's lives? Acts 9, 41 Peter gave Tabitha, or Dorcas, her hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. You see, we're going to be a church that lifts because we're going to be a church that looks. We're going to be a church that lifts humanity because we're going to be a church that looks for opportunity. We're going to ask God to open doors. We're going to ask God to open impossible doors. So that we can step through. I was so proud of this church last month when we sponsored, listen, the whole total was over 70 kids in Zambia. How many know that's going to give some kids a lift? We're lifting humanity in Zambia. We're lifting humanity in Sacramento. You see, a church that looks like heaven looks for heaven to invade and do the impossible. So what will these five habits, or what have these five habits produced? I call them healthy outcomes or healthy culture. And for the next two weeks, I'm going to go over these eight things that we've experienced. As You might not even know you've experienced these things, but we're going to dive deeper into these outcomes that we've experienced as a church. The first one is a healthy church. How many want to be part of a healthy church? And I'm going to break these down over the next several weeks. A diverse church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multi-missional church. Amen? Diverse church, a generous church, a generous church, an outward-focused church, a courageous church, a church that's willing to take risks. How are you guys willing to take some risks with Pastor Deed? Taking risks, just taking steps of faith. Just say, you know what, we might not have the money to do it, but God called us to it. How many know if God calls you to it, he'll see you through it, amen? A courageous church, a creative church, a creative church. We've been doing a lot of uh, creative problem solving around here. A creative church, a spirit-empowered church. How many know God has more for us? God has more for us. It's not just going to be something we experience at the beginning of the year with the Empowered Conference that we did this last, last uh, January. We're going to continue to do that, but we're going to continue to listen, to walk in the Spirit and allow God to flow through our lives and use us. A Spirit-empowered church. And then lastly, and it's really what tomorrow is all about, 
It's a celebrative church. A cele- How many know we got to learn to celebrate? Come on, we weren't baptized in pickle juice, right? God wants us to be excited and enthusiastic about what he's doing. And listen, we've got to celebrate the good things, not only that he's doing at church, the good things he's doing in your life. The good thing I was talking with uh, someone this week, I won't put her on the spot, but I was talking to her and she said, yes, I was in uh, service and uh, I've had a a gluten allergy for a long, long time. And uh, Pastor D prayed for me and... uh, She said, I just felt like the Lord said, go home and eat a big donut. She said, I've struggled with this gluten allergy for, for, I think it was years, a couple years. She went home and ate that big donut. She says, I am, I am, I'd have no gluten allergy at all. Total of freedom. How many know that you got, I I, I said, and you didn't tell us about that. How many know somebody that struggles with gluten allergies? That's an awesome testimony. I want to celebrate. I don't care if God heals you from a headache. I want to celebrate it. I want to celebrate it. Will you stand with me today? Listen, first of all, with everybody's head bowed and your eyes closed, that first habit, I I know that not everybody in here has that personal relationship with Jesus, but maybe as I've been talking to you about these five habits that we've been practicing around here. Maybe you recognize that habit of loving God personally isn't active in your life. It's not consistent in your life. And maybe you're not even a follower of Christ, but this morning God called you. God God led you to this place so that you could invite him into your life. And if that's you this morning with nobody looking around, I just want to acknowledge that you're here today. If that's you and you say, you know what, I want to accept Christ into my life. I want to make it personal. I want Jesus to be personal. I don't want religion. I want a relationship. If that's you this morning, will you just lift your hand just so I can know that you're here? Yes, yes, yes. Anybody else? Anybody else? Praise God. Praise God. Can we just give the Lord a hand for just a few people that are here? Come on. Come on. Let's just pray these prayers with these few folks that raise their hands. So that they can step into a personal relationship with him. Let's just say, dear Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me, going to the grave for me, and rising again. And God, I am joined to you in victory. And God, I thank you that you have forgiven me. And God, you have given me the grace to walk with you. Thank you for my salvation. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name, I receive you into my life. Amen. Can we just give the Lord praise for that this morning? If you raise your hand, I'd love to meet you after service right down here. I'd love to meet you, pray with you. But I want to pray for the entire church. Just lift your hands. Will you do that? Two more minutes. Lord, I thank you, God. I thank you for your faithfulness, Lord, as we've practiced these things over the last 11 months. Lord, if there's any area, God, that we need to, God, be more consistent in, Lord, I ask you for the grace. God, if 
You're calling people to intimacy this morning, God. I ask, God, that you would help them carve out time, Lord, to read, to pray. Lord, just to bring an awareness in their life that you are with them. God, if someone's having difficulty with people in their life, I pray that you would give them empathy, God, and you would give them a capacity, God, to walk with others. Lord, if anybody is under condemnation, I pray, Father, that you would give them a revelation, God, of your abundance, Lord, your mercy, your love, your grace towards them, oh God. And God, if anybody is not active, God, in serving, God, I pray, Father, that you would show them, God, that their purpose is to serve, God, people, to serve your people. God, open those doors. And God, lastly, I pray, Father, that you would use us, God, as a congregation to lift up humanity. Lord, that as we look up at the harvest fields, as we see what you're doing in the earth, God, you will give us opportunity to lift people up, to lift them up, to take them by the hand, God, and lead them well. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Can we give the Lord praise this morning? I want to just remind before you leave all your ladies.